All right. Well, I'm looking forward to this. And so um, uh, I guess make sure your microphone's on. And, and you just, go ahead and feel free to uh, uh, tell us about your, yourself, your family, whatever. When you're, when you're ready to preach, you just go ahead and let it preach. And uh, we're really glad you're here. This is uh, John Wilkerson. Somebody asked me if he's related to John Wilkerson. They are. This is his dad back here. Uh, Matthew? Luke. You're Luke. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's pretty cool. I like that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think they're all in the ministry. That's exciting. And so uh, uh, they're up here for vacation, and we're honored that you made us part of your stop. And so the night is yours. Let's all stand again. A good Aurora Baptist welcome, all right? <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, love and hospitality that you've shown my wife and I so far. Y'all have a wonderful church. It's really exciting to see what God's doing here and uh, just overwhelms our heart to see so many young people and so many of you guys serving the Lord here faithfully in Anchorage. It's exciting. We've only been here a couple days, but God's been working in a huge way. As he said, the Lord has called my wife and I to plant churches in West Africa. So we'll be starting out in a country called Burkina Faso. Has anybody ever heard of that country? Burkina Faso. Most people don't know how to even describe it, even say it. Uh, pronounce it, but um, it is a country in West Africa, and there are millions of souls there that are lost and dying on their way to hell without ever hearing a clear presentation of the gospel, or many of them even having access to it. And if you could just close your eyes for just a second and imagine being born in, in Africa, in West Africa, and you were born into, imagine if you were born into a Muslim home, and you uh, had no idea about church, and no, never heard the name of Jesus, had access to the gospel, that's the reality of many people in uh, Burkina Faso and all throughout West Africa. They're, they're just void of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard. And you know, the word of God says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so that's why we're going. The Lord has called my wife and and I to go there. And we're not doing it grudgingly. It is about 100 degrees average there uh, every day. So I heard y'all had a couple warm days here. And have some people selling like little box fans for like $100 because it was just Really, really hot or something like that. But uh, So if you could just imagine how hot it is there. But we're not dreading it at all. We're very excited about going. Uh, God's called us there, and we believe he'll protect us and provide for us, and we're excited about going. We appreciate your prayers um, very much so as we, they're desperately needed. Is there anybody, anyone have any questions about uh, West Africa or why we're going or what missionaries do? Yeah? Why? <laughs> That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I went on a missions trip there. Um, I was able to go for 14 days with my dad, was able to go with me, and my brother. And that was a wonderful trip. While we were there, the Lord got a hold of our heart, um, got a hold of my heart and my, and my life. And I, I couldn't get away from it. I saw people there. We were able to preach to people. And uh, it's in French, and then it's translated into Moray, the tribal tongue, their heart language. And uh, people there, uh, many of them heard the gospel, heard the name of Jesus for the first time in their life. And God's doing a huge work over there right now. He's saving people left and right. Uh, Brother Keith Shoemaker, who we're going to be working underneath a little bit there, and Jason Richel, the Lord's been able to use them to start 15 churches there. And uh, souls are being saved. Lives are being changed. A lot of people are turning from Islam because they realize that there's a God of love. Hey, who in here is, when you got married, you married your wife out of love. You, uh, yeah, amen, amen. In the same way here. Many people there, it's an Islamic culture, many times it's arranged marriages. And so love is not even in their culture. When they think of God, they call him Allah, they, uh, they think, oh, they're like scared. He's going to like throw a lightning bolt down from heaven and, 
they have a totally misconceived view and idea of, of uh, God. And, but when they realize that there's a God of love, that God so loves the world, God loves them, and that he died, he paid their sin in full, they can know for sure. When they realize there's a God of love and when they realize they can have assurance of their salvation, Muslims are turning to Christ by the thousands right now, all across West Africa. It's really exciting to see what God's doing there. And uh, Emily and I are very excited to see, to be a part, to have a little part in what God's doing all around the all, completely other side of the world from here um, in, in West Africa. But it's exciting. God's working here. And this is a mission field as well. And there are people here that are dying and going to hell without, um, without hearing the gospel as well. And we need to go and we need to tell them. And I think it's exciting that the energy and, and the purpose, the mission of your church here, and God is certainly blessing and using you guys in a huge way. And I just want to encourage you guys in the Lord for just a second to just keep on going for him. Keep on serving the Lord. Keep on sharing the gospel. Jesus Christ, one day the Bible says he is the name above all names. And one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And at that day, if we look into Jesus' face, everything in this world will fade away. And we, I mean, I'm telling you, it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. Worth you waking up early and coming to church and putting the Lord first and saying, I'm going to be faithful to God's house every time the doors are open, I'm going to be there. It'll be worth it every time you go and knock on the door and pass out a gospel track and try to share the gospel and witness to someone. I know it's a little bit scary and the devil, he's going to try to throw all these thoughts at you. What if they ask you this or what if they say this? Well, I know how he works. The devil, he doesn't like you. He doesn't like what you're going to do. But if you're willing to say, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to put you first then God is going to bless you, and it's going to be worth it. One day in heaven, we're going to reap rewards, eternal dividends. We're going to reap, and we're going to read a story in the Word of God that uh, tells us a little bit about someone who gets to see fruit and a really great soul winner, I I believe. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4 with me. John chapter 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, look at this, verse number four, and he must needs go through Samaria. This was something that was not very common. Most Jews did not like the Samaritans at all. There was a lot of racism towards the Samaritans. Jewish people were they, they, they just didn't talk to him. They looked at him as half-breeds and all these different things, and it was a very ro- racist time. Most Jews never even talked to a Samaritan. You remember the, the story Jesus gave of the good Samaritan. Most people would step on the complete opposite side. That's how they were, but the, this Samaritan had mercy. Verse number five, Then came, cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Remember way out in the Old Testament? Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus was walking, hiking. I remember my, uh, my parents and, and Emily and I, we went and walked up, uh, what was it, Hatchet's Pass or somewhere like that. We, we, we walked and, and hiked, and we were, we were thirsty. We had to sit down a couple times. Jesus, it was the same way here. He sat down. He was tired. He sat on this well right here, verse number 7. And there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. So Jesus this woman comes and she's thirsty. She's looking for something, a physical water that she can drink. And Jesus asked her of water. And look, this is like kind of shocked. She's kind of shocked. Verse number eight. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So Jesus was left alone there. Verse number nine. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? 
for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she's like, you're a Jew? Jews don't talk to us. And not just was she a Samaritan, but she was a woman. And in that day, in that culture, men didn't really talk to, to women, especially when they were themselves like this. So it was just a, a weird situation. This woman's like, I don't understand. Verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it was that saith unto thee, Give me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Oh boy, that just that, that excites me. She asked him that, and you know, I just think immediately I think back to Burkina Faso. Remember, Dad, they, they have bags of water there in the city, but out in the villages, they don't have clean drinking water at all. Brother Keith Shoemaker dug a well there, and they had, they had water, and people would come from miles and miles away to get this water, this, this clean drinking water. And uh, she's asking for, she's looking for physical water, and he is, in, and uh, Jesus is saying, I, if you would ask me, you don't know who I am, but if you would ask me, I would give you living water, water that lasts eternally. Verse number, verse number 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou, draw, hast thou that living water? So he, she's like, oh, come on. The well is really deep. You don't have anything to draw with, and that well is deep. I mean, it's a lot of hard work to get water. What are you talking about? How can you get this living water? Verse number 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So she compares him with Jacob, and she thinks, man, there's somebody greater than this Jesus. She doesn't really know him yet. But many people in this world think the same thing. They think, oh, well, there's other things greater than Jesus. Jesus isn't all there is. And people don't really see Jesus for who he really is, for who he truly is, the Savior of the Lord, of, of the world, the Lord of all creation. Jesus Christ is the greatest. He's the God of all gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. One day he's coming soon. He's coming again. And Jesus, I, I get excited. I'm sorry. You may think I'm a little bit crazy, but I, get, I, I think it's okay to get excited about Jesus. I mean, people get excited about playing hockey. People get excited about uh, football. And people get excited about all these different things. We can, it's okay to get excited about what Jesus has done in our lives. He saved us from hell. He's died and taken our sin debt, paid full it in full. Jesus has done a wonderful work in our own lives, and he's coming again. He promises. He says, behold, I come quickly. He says, be ready. Be watching. He could come right now as I'm speaking. He could come at any second. No man knows the hour when he's going to come back. But he says, behold, I come quickly. That's an exciting thought. This world, they don't know who Jesus is. This woman didn't know who Jesus is, but he's about to reveal himself to her in a huge way, and God's about to do a huge work here. Verse number 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know that, that's one thing about the world, the world and the wells of this world. You can keep drinking. I mean, sin, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but sin is temporary. It doesn't satisfy. It'll take you long, it'll take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever were willing to, to stay. It'll cost you infinitely more than you were ever willing to pay. Sin is not worth it. It's not worth it. It does not satisfy. You're going to keep going back to the well of sin time and time again because there's nothing that satisfies but Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the one name that satisfies. He's the only thing that this world is desperately seeking after. And people try to find it in, in illicit sex outside of marriage. People try to find it in drugs and alcohol and, and all this filthiness of sin. But it doesn't satisfy. And you know that. You, you know we've all tried sin. We've all, we're born sinners and we've all sinned. And we know it doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus has everlasting satisfaction that we need and that this world so desperately desires. And we should, we should want to share the, the gospel with people. We should want to tell other people about Jesus, about what he's done, about who he is, and about the fact that he's coming again. Verse number 15 here. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here hither to draw. So she's like, oh, really excited. She's like, yes, finally I get this water. Can I please have this? I don't want to have to keep coming here. I don't want to have to keep coming day after day and getting my, my water pitcher and walking all the way up here and, and doing the whole process of getting the water out of the well. She's like, give me this living water. I don't want to have to keep doing this. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. So he gives her a, a strange command, right? I mean, that, that's, a little, that, that's a little out of context, but look what he says. He's doing this for a reason. Jesus does it for a reason. He says, go call your husband. Look what she says in verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou sayest truly. So, wow, this is like, if you met a guy in the street and he just told you this, you would be like, whoa, okay, he either is stalking me on Facebook, or he is just reading my mind, or he knows all about my past. There's something different about this guy. This, this, that would be a strange phenomenon if you met somebody like this. But look what she says. She immediately thinks, verse number 19, this woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She thinks he's a prophet. Look at that. Verse number 20. Then she gets a little off context herself and a little wacky. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus answers and said unto her, verse number 21, Woman, believe, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain, nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye, uh, verse number 22, ye worship, ye know not. What? We worship what we, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And that's how we worship the Lord, in, in spirit and in truth. Now, we don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem like the Muslims and make, make treks all the way back to Mecca to worship at a, a certain place. The Lord seeketh people to worship him. Wherever you are, you can worship the Lord. You can seek the Lord. If you're, if you're saved, if his, Holy, if his Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can worship the Lord. And he's worthy of all worship. He's worthy of all glory. He's worthy of all praise. One day, he is the lamb who was slain, and he will receive all glory, all honor, and all praise, both now and forever, the Bible says. And what a day that will be. He is worthy of our worship. Then he's worthy of our worship now. And uh, we, we serve a wonderful God. Jesus sets her straight here and says, one day, there's coming a day, we won't have to worship in a certain place. We can worship the Lord wherever we are. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee 
am he. He just reveals it very clearly there. Now, I'll tell you, time and time again, Muslims will say, nowhere in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, does Jesus ever claim to be the Christ? Does he ever claim to be the Son of God? It seems pretty clear that he just claimed, I am the Son of God, right here. He says, I am Messiah. I am the one who is going to come. Verse 27, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man saith, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? So as they're talking right here, the disciples come up and they're like, what? they're all thinking, they're like, what is he doing? He's talking to a woman and she's a Samaritan. I don't know what's going on here. They're all wondering. They're like, what in the world? But no one's, no one's going to ask him. They're all afraid to ask him here. Verse number Verse number 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? When they went out of the city, and then they went out of the city and came unto him. So the woman right here, she's witnessing. She's going down and she's telling all these men, if she had five husbands, there's a pretty... Um, there's, a, there's a pretty good chance maybe she's been with uh, more than just five people that she hasn't married. So she goes, I, know, I think it's interesting, the Bible says she goes to all the men, and she tells them, this guy, this one man told me everything that ever I did. He told me all about my past, and you've got to come see. This guy sounds like the Christ. He sounds like the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is come. Jesus Christ is come. And she goes and shares, and then they come down here, verse 31 in the meantime, while the disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So his disciples were like, Jesus, you've been out here, and you've just been walking up. You just hiked a mountain to come up to this well. You need to, you're hungry. You must be really hungry. Eat. It's like, it's like my mom, whenever I, I would come home from working all day, she'd be like, son, have you eaten? You need to eat. I don't know if any of y'all got mamas like that, but that's a good mama's take, making sure that, that you've eaten. Now my wife does the same thing, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, the Bible says, verse, verse number 32, look what Jesus responds. Look what he says. But he said unto them, I have meat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Oh boy, that's, that's the kind of fruit that I want right there. Fruit unto life eternal. That's the, that's the fruit that we should be seeking after. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that where, whither upon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So right here we see Jesus. We see three different things from this, from this story here. We see that the fields are ready. Jesus tells him, obviously he says, don't say wait until the, the fields are ready four months later. He says, behold, look up your eyes. Look up and, and see the fields are white all ready to harvest. And I'll tell you one thing, all around here, you look up your eyes, you go in the right places, you, you go and you share the gospel, you say, Lord, my heart is where your heart is, because you know, sometimes this world, the devil will try to blind our eyes, 
He try, he's, that's what he did before we were saved. He tries to blind us. And he tries to distract us. He tries to lull us to sleep with all the comforts of this world, with all the distractions of this world. That's the devil's strategy is to distract you with sin and then discourage you when you do sin and ultimately destroy you in your testimony so you never have a desire to do anything for him. Three D's you can remember. That's the devil's strategy. And we need to know that so we can guard and protect yourself against that. He'll try to distract you and discourage you and destroy you. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness of the rulers of, this, of wickedness of this world. We are in a war, a battle. And there is life and death in the balance of whether we decide to awaken to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There are people dying and going to hell, both here and in Africa and all over the world, that have never heard the gospel. Because we're afraid to tell them. We're ashamed of Jesus. Why are we ashamed? What do we have to be ashamed about? The fact that he took your sin debt on himself and paid the price for your sin for all of eternity, saved you from a real devil's hell that burns forever, that lost people are on their way to. He did that for you. Think about that. We need to remember what he saved us from. Why are we here? Why are we here? Put your hand over your heart. Everybody feel a heartbeat? I hope you do. As long as your heart's beating. You woke up this morning, you got breath in your lungs, your heart's beating. You are here for a reason, for a purpose. We are not saved to come to church and sit on a church pew and soak in the word of God and then just sour with it. That's not why we're saved. We're saved to serve the Lord, to seek the Lord, to go out and to share the gospel with the lost. We are saved for a reason. And Jesus reminds his, his disciples here, stop looking at temporary meat, temporary food, and temporary sustenance of this world and realize I have meat that you know not of. The disciples didn't quite get it. He was trying to help them out. He was trying to tell I have meat that you know not of. You don't understand it now. But there are eternal souls in the balance of what we do. And we need to wake up and realize the fields are ready. We must see the harvest. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, Jesus says. He says something about your eyes. There's something about our eyes. The Bible says our eyes affecteth our heart. When you look at somebody, when, you, when, when, I, go, when I went to Africa, I would, I would always dream about going to Africa as a missionary everyone I was, since I was a little boy. But when I was able to go and look at those Africans in the eyes and just, just look out and I was able to see them and, and uh, talk to some of them through translators and hear their testimonies of the people that have been saved by God's grace. Their lives have been transformed and now they've been trained in their pastoring churches. You get to hear testimonies. I was able to see with my eyes a huge need and it affected my heart. And that's why Emily and I are going to West Africa. That's why we're crossing the, the world, the completely opposite way of the world from here. We're going there where it's 100 degrees and where you can say whatever you want about it. But we're going there because my eyes affected my heart. And when you go out, sometimes we, we can come to church and it can be like a, a bubble. It can be like a safety zone. And we don't go out to the lost and we don't actually see their condition or knock on the door and ask if we can come in and just talk to them and just pray with them. People need to be loved. There's a guy named Kente Tanner in Knoxville, Tennessee when I was in public school. Kente's mom had it when he was real young. She was real young, 13 or 14, I think. 
she had him and she, she couldn't take care of him, so she gave him to his grandma. And his grandma tried to take care of him, but didn't really, he slept on the couch. She didn't really show him love. I was studying the Bible with him, and I, I was reading my Bible before a football game, and he came up, and he's like, what's that? He was, what is that book you're reading? I was like, it's a Bible. He, he said, my grandma's has one of those, but I, I never really read it too much. Can you read that to me? And I, and I said, absolutely, can't tell you. Let's, let's study the Bible. And from then on out, we'd go to McDonald's, and we, we'd study the Bible together, and we'd, we'd decide, I was discipling him and teaching him the words of life. For the first time, I was reading John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And I said, you know what, can't they? You know what world, that word world right there? That means you. God loves you. And I love you, and I don't want you to go to hell. He looked at me and said, nobody has ever told me that I love you. No one's ever said those words to me. No one's ever told me that God loves me. And Kente grew up going to church, but he always thought God was angry at him. And he was always afraid of God and hiding and hiding from the Lord. He, he thought God was like those Muslims do, holding up a lightning bolt, just waiting for him to mess up. That's his view of God before he read the word of God, before he read the Bible. Kente got saved. Kente, Kente got baptized. And Kente, he's, uh, he's living, he's living um, a life in Knoxville right now. And, and he, said, he told me he wants, to, he wants to get back faithful to church. He wants to get, get back in the word of God. And people run away from the Lord at different times and come back. And I'm praying that the Lord will get a hold of his heart and bring him back to church. But the Lord saved Kente's life because, because he found out that God loved him. He would have never known that if I, if, if I wouldn't have talked to him. If I would have been like, no, Kente, look, I'm, I'm busy. I'm reading my Bible, but I'm busy. I got other things to worry about. I got a job. I got other things to worry about. And think about how many people around you that you know, how many people do you know that I don't know? And the reason I'm so passionate about the word of God and screaming is because you have an opportunity to reach people that I will never meet. I'll never see them. I don't have the opportunity to see them. After this week, we'll go back down to Georgia and we'll continue traveling around America preaching and deputation, but then we'll go to Africa. I'll probably never get to see Meet people that you know. But you, God has placed you in an opportunity. He's placed you in this city, in the same house that you live in, the neighborhood you live in, wherever you live. God's given you an opportunity with people there around you where you can be a light. You can shine so that all men will see your good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. It's all about His glory. It's all about His honor. It's all about His praise. Jesus is a name of Above all names, he will one day be worshipped. We see here, the fields are ready to be harvested. We must see the harvest. Verse, verse uh, then we must, we must seize the harvest. For they are white already to harvest. The harvest, we have to see it. We have to realize, though, that there's a difference in just seeing something. We all, we all see, maybe you've seen a homeless person, and you didn't have any, okay? Um, Right? We don't just need to see the harvest. We need to seize the harvest. You see lost people, and you may say, well, they probably need Jesus. They're, they're lost, and they're living in sin. They need Jesus. But we need to say, they do need Jesus, and I have a gospel track on me. Let me go and share the gospel with them. Because if we just see the need and do nothing about it, what's that good is that accomplished? The Bible says in James, if you see somebody who's just sitting there, and they're, they're naked, and they don't have any clothes, they're hungry, and you're like, oh, hey, be, be clothed and be filled. What, what does that do? What good does that do? That guy, he's still naked and hungry. 
You didn't do any good by telling him that, by looking at him and saying words. But if you go and you give him a blanket and some clothes and you give him some food from McDonald's, buy him a cheeseburger, and you take care of him, then you've done something. In the same way, we have to not just see the lost, we have to seize the opportunity to share the gospel with him, to take that step of faith. And the devil's going to be throwing everything at you. Put up your shield of faith and tell him, devil, go back to hell where you belong and where you're always going to be. You can tell him in the name of Jesus because the devil's scared. The demons, they know that he's alive, that he's God, and they tremble. They're afraid of the name of Jesus because he conquered the grave. Our God is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. We don't serve Allah and we don't serve Muhammad, all these dead prophets and, and Mormons, Joseph Smith and all these different prophets. We serve a living God. His grave in Jerusalem is empty. There's no bones there at all. Our God is alive. He's alive enough to save us from hell. He wants to use you. God wants to use you. To help other people. He doesn't want anyone to go there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. That should be our heart as well. As his children, we should say, boy, I don't, I don't know what I can do. I can't do much, but I can do something. And we should say, I'm going to take a step of faith, no matter what it costs me, and I'm just going to go down the street, or I'm going to, you can get on social media, you can share the gospel with, uh, with people on, on social media, on Facebook or Instagram. You can get all different ways. There's all different ways to share the gospel. But wherever you are, be a light for Christ. Be a witness for him. We see the fields are ready. We have to see the harvest. We have to seize the harvest. The farmers are rewarded. There will be a payday. And he that reapeth, the Bible says, receiveth wages and giveth fruit unto life eternal. One day there's going to be a payday. And it'll be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. There will be a payday. Jesus Christ is coming again, and he will reward his servants that just obey him. Sharing the gospel, is, it's not really difficult. It's not complicated. It's simple. If you don't even want to talk, if you're shy, I used to be real shy, believe it or not. I wouldn't even talk to the cashier at McDonald's. I'd be like, hiding behind my brother. No, you go up there and do that. I know you probably can't imagine me shy, but I used to be real shy. I'd be hiding behind him. All these people looking at me. I'd be, I'd be, that's how I was. You can ask my parents. I used to be really shy. You don't even have, if you're a shy personality, I mean, you can change it. Obviously, the Lord can change that in you. But you can just go up and you can just, you can just be like, hey, Jesus loves you. He died to save you. He set you free. He's paid your sin debt in full. You don't, he hasn't condemned you. You don't, you don't have to live condemned. You can be saved. He's already done all the work for you. Was that that hard to do? Even if you're shy, that's not that hard. Just tell them Jesus loves you. And you say, open it, open it up if you want to learn more about, about who Jesus is. If you're that shy. But you can do something. You can do something. And there will be a great reward when the payday comes. There will also be a praise day that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may re rejoice together. One day we're going to all be in heaven rejoicing together in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed thinking, oh, I wish I would have done more. I wish when I was on earth that I really would have believed in a real place called hell, that I really, truly would have loved my neighbor as myself enough to go next door and share the gospel with him. I wished that I would have seen that stranger, that homeless guy on the side of the road, or when I was eating at McDonald's, I wished I would have seen that person eating next to me and said, man, you don't have to go to hell. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want to be empty-handed. I want to be able to praise the Lord 
with those who the Lord has saved, that the Lord's used me to bring them to Jesus. It's not about us, not about our praise. All glory, honor, and praise belongs to Jesus Christ, a name above all names. And we will one day cast our crowns at Jesus' feet. I wonder if you'll have anything to cast. What will you have with you? The fields are ready. The farmers are rewarded. The fruit is received. The explanation of the harvest, the sower, the sower and the reaper. Not everybody you share the gospel is going to get saved right then. Right? Some people sow, some people water, but who gives the increase? The Lord gives the increase. And that just goes back to again, it's not about us. But the Lord will use a gospel track. His word, he promises in his word that his word will not return void. It will never return void. It will accomplish that which he wills. And that is a promise from God. You want to, people invest in money and finances all the time and stock market, all that, all that jazz, and it just goes back and forth, up and down, unreliable, and you can invest in all these different things that's not reliable. But there's one thing you can make an investment in, and that is eternity. That is souls for all of eternity. And just taking a gospel track and saying, Jesus loves you. That is, that's making an investment. It's not going to return void. Either they will read it, Later on in their life, a year or two or five or ten, whenever they read it one day, or they'll throw it on the ground and somebody else will pick it up. Or they'll throw it in the trash and the trash man will pick it up and see it and read it. And God's word is limitless. It's sharper. It's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing. The word of God is alive. And you take a step of faith. You say, Lord, it's not about me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But you are a great God. You're a big God. You can use me. If you believe God can use you, God will. He wants to use you. My Bible says the Lord searches through all the earth. He's walking up and down looking for someone whose heart is perfect towards him. God's looking. He's saying, man, I wonder how his heart is. I wonder if he's given everything to me. I wonder if he's completely surrendered to me. I want to use him. I want to use him to do big things. But I wonder how his heart is. Ask yourself, how's your heart? The fruit is received. We see the explanation of the harvest. There's sowers. And there's reapers. Now, we're going to West Africa to hopefully reap a rich harvest. But some of you can't go there, or, or you won't go there, right? But you, you can be a part of it. You can be a part in sowing. And there's different ways you can sow, different people that sow, different people that reap. But it's all for the glory of God. We see the explanation of the harvest. Then we see the example of the harvest. The people of the, Samar of the Samaritans believed because of the saying, the testimony of the woman. Look what the Bible says. Verse number, verse number, where are we at? Verse number 39. And many, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of that woman, which testified, he told me all things that I ever did, that ever I did. So many people believed because of her saying. We see the example of the harvest. This woman took a step of faith, and she just told people, what happened to her, and all of a sudden God saved people. Think about that. That's the way our God works. If he wanted to, he could just snap his fingers and say, Abracadabracaban, the whole world be saved, just like that. Is that the way our God works? No, he's given us a free will, right? That wouldn't be love. He's given us a free will. And he's choosing to use, he chooses to use people. He chooses to use people to tell other people about what they, he has done in their lives. And God gets the glory. And God gets the increase. And their souls become saved for all of eternity. That's exciting. That's exciting. 
If that, doesn't, if that doesn't light your fire for Christ, your wood must be wet. But you realize what God has done in your life, and all you have to do is tell your testimony to other people. It's simple, and God does a huge work, and God can fill this church up to overflowing. I believe he can. I believe God, revival could sweep all across America if Christians would just understand the power of their testimony. This woman, life was changing. She had to tell people. She had to tell them. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, oh, man, I could do this. I could share the gospel. and could, I could go out soul winning, or I could just keep playing my video games. Ugh, I don't know. I could go soul winning, or I could go to sleep and sleep in because I work really hard. Uh, I, I had these different options. No, it was for her. It was like, it was common sense. He changed my life. He saved me out of a burn. If someone saved you out of a burning building, would you just go around like, yeah, yeah. I was saved, and I don't know his name, but he, he almost died trying to save me. In fact, he did die trying to save me, but I don't know his name. And, I, you know, is that how you'd be? Or would you be like, no, I remember his name. He burned for me. That's what Jesus did. He died for us. He took our place. How, did, how can we be silent? How can we not go? How can you not go next door? How can you not go to the next city? How can you not share the gospel with people if he's truly saved your life? Do you see the example of the harvest? The explanation of the harvest, the example of the harvest. Then we see the desire of the city. And they besought him that he would tarry with them. The word of God says, these people of the city, they wanted him to be there. They said, please stay. Please give us your word. More of your word. We want to learn. We have an earnest desire and a hunger for you. And boy, if we as God's people, who remembers back to when you first got saved? Remember that? When you first got saved, you wanted to tell everyone about Jesus, didn't you? You wanted to go and tell the world about Jesus. You couldn't hold it in. You couldn't keep it back. But somehow, slowly but surely, we lose the joy of our salvation. We, we get, we get to, to going through the motions and going through this life and... Uh, walking around, and it, it, we become comfortable and, and mundane. We need to remember what he's done with us. And we need to have an earnest desire to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and 4 that Peter and John, the people, they didn't know, they didn't look at them as, oh, man, those are really awesome people. No, they said, those are unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge of them. What? That they... Notice the first thing after these souls were saved of this city, they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to spend time with him. And maybe the reason you're not a passionate soul winner, maybe the reason you're not, you haven't made up your mind to say, I'm going to be faithful to church. I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself together as a manner of some is, but I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto me. Maybe the reason you're not passionate, maybe the reason you're not faithful, maybe the reason you're not a giver is because you haven't been spending time with him. When you spend time with the Lord and his word, he begins to transform your heart and your life. And his word, it's addicting. His word is exciting. People who say the Bible's boring, they're boring. Are you kidding me? There's nothing boring about the word of God. This is alive. He's alive. You think this is me? This is not me. This is, this is him. It's all him. 
It's all him. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. You, I came up here. You're, gonna, you're looking at me. You, you're seeing me. Now you're going to forget about me. One day, you're not going to forget about Jesus. You won't forget about the souls that you decided to say, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to love them enough to share the gospel with them. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What is it? By your love one to another. Not by your outward standards. Not by how you look on the outside and and how you look on Facebook and how you're painting this picture of goody, goody, two and a half shoes and you're just looking all this different way. That's not how people are going to know that we're his disciples. It's by our love. You know what? Love is an action verb. Jesus, he could say, I love you. But if he never left heaven and, and stepped down from heaven and proved his love, it's just words. But he left his comforts. He left just walking on streets of gold. He left all that to come for you because he loves you. And he died for you. Your sin, personally, he took it upon himself and died for you. He loves you that much. You know how many hairs you have in your head? But the Lord says, he knows every single number of them. He knows how many hairs you have in your head. You know, he thinks about you all the time. The Bible says in Psalms 139, how numerous are the thoughts of me, O God. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand which is on the seashore. They're wonderful. When God thinks of you, he doesn't, he doesn't think, oh, that dirty sinner. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he went there. I can't believe he watched that. I can't believe he thought that. That's not how God thinks. When he looks at us, the Bible says for, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he made him to be sin for us, Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, when God looks at you, he sees righteous. He doesn't see sinner. He doesn't see your past mistakes. He sees righteous. He sees his blood, Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ on you. And he says, you're righteous. You used to be all these different things. But you're righteous now. He calls us saints in 1 Corinthians. That's what he calls us. That's how he sees us after we're saved. And he says, I want to use you. I want to use you. Our God wants to use us. We serve an awesome God. We serve a big God. Our God is alive. His word is powerful. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want to challenge you. You want to spend time with Jesus. Remember what he's done for us. You remember what he's done for us. You're going to want to tell people about it. You won't be able to help yourself. It'll be a natural reaction, a reflex. If I took a hammer and hit you on the knee, your leg would just fly up in the air. And you didn't, do, you didn't even think about it. It's just a reflex. When you spend time with Jesus, you don't really have to think about sharing the gospel. It's just like it just comes out. It just spills out. David says, my cup runneth over. You pour the word of God into you, and it'll just spill right out of you. People will know you by your love, and it's not because of your love. It's because of his love is living out through you. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed.